Hey, it's Melvin, one of your friendly neighborhood podcast hosts. Whether it's your first time tuning in or you're a longtime listener, consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever. Reviews are the lifeblood of the podcast world, so if you want to help us out, it'll take only a moment of your time. Otherwise, we hope you enjoy the show. You're listening to Cinematic Doctrine. Hey, if you just press play, uh, you are missing out on finally less than 40 minutes at 37, which I guess isn't good. That's like, hey, if you support, you get access to less stuff than before. <laughs> but but it feels so much better. Um, you get access to 37 minutes of extra content on this episode. It's about to be 38 minutes. Um, and uh, we talked about a couple different topics. Uh, we talked about what do we talk? First, we talked about a little bit about Hulk stuff. She-Hulk. Um, mm-hmm. A little bit about the She-Hulk and how, uh, which is the sequel to She-Hulk, uh, written by um, the. Uh, never mind. Uh, joke won't work because brain don't work. <clears throat> what? Uh, what is happening? I oh, was trying. Oh, Shane Black. Case, I was going to say Shane Black, but in case you're not thinking about check out She-Hulk, just know the show is created by the woman who wrote the Pickle Rick episode of Rick and Morty. Oh, great! So. <laughs> That's so uh, that that makes me feel so much better. Um, I have not watched She-Hulk, but Dan has, and we talked a bit about some response to a particular scene, um, which uh, goes into our th- my running theory of how like I think when things get really big, people demand they be taken seriously, which is a bummer because it's just not as fun uh, when things are constantly serious. Even though She-Hulk isn't even that serious, uh, we also talked about some Warner Brothers stuff about how they're only going to have like two movies released this year because that's <laughs> all they can afford, which is wild. Um, I think then our last topic was some stuff on movie pass and movie theaters. Uh, little spoiler on that one. And Matt Damon, yeah, he's trying to tell trying to tell you to buy crypto because uh, <laughs> he doesn't know that it's a mar- multi-level marketing. Dead. Crypto is the future. <laughs> yeah, please don't get crypto. What a scam! What a total scam! Um, but uh, we did talk about that, which was pretty fun. And uh, yeah, you get access to that for $3 a month if you go to the Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash cinematic doctrine, $3 a month or more. And you get access to early content on every episode. Also early uh, releases for each episode, uh, primary episodes. Uh, Let's Talks sometimes go up, but usually don't have any cut content. So it's not like there's much extra there. Um you also get to choose a movie or show we review at the end of each month. Actually, the episode we're doing today on The Bear is chosen by Patreon supporters. It was either season one of The Bear or season one of Severance, and uh, both of which we were excited to do. Uh, the Bear was great. Uh, spoilers, I suppose, for our thoughts, but thank you so much for picking this. This was really just quite excellent. Uh, you also, there's definitely, a, oh, if you if we get to a certain tier, a uh, certain uh, amount each month, we will also do reviews for particular projects. Uh, the first one is God's Not Dead. We're going to be doing the whole series, depending on how much support we get. And then also Inhumans uh, at some point, uh, which started as a joke and now is real. But yeah, uh, just support $3 a month. You get access to all that jazz. It's pretty cool stuff. But we are here to actually do an episode, not just advertise to you. We are going to talk about the bear. Uh, again, thank you so much, Patreon supporters, for picking this because I, I really enjoyed this. Both my wife and I. My wife loves to cook too, so it was really you know, enjoyable aesthetically to watch a show about cooking. Although it is, of course, about much, much more, as my wife would say, something, something, the human condition. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty great stuff. But Dan, do you want to uh, go ahead and introduce the bear for our 
friendly neighborhood listeners? Sure. The Bear is a 2002 American comedy drama television series created by Christopher Storer, who also is a, a 2022. 2022. That's staying in. Uh, Christopher Storer also served as a writer and director on several episodes. It stars Jeremy Allen White as a a five-star chef returning home to his little uh, family's sandwich shop in Chicago. All this follows the tragic suicide of his older brother. And uh, the I feel bad trying to summarize this. I feel like getting into any summary really gets to some of the finer details of the show. But the short version is you have a five-star chef trying to manage and rehabilitate his family's failing sandwich shop, a shop that is very old school and everyone working there is sort of stuck in their own ways. And specifically his cousin who is taking over with running this, the store uh, very aggressively and antagonistically dislikes any attempts to modernize or change the store. Meanwhile, a new uh, chef has come, has come on named Sydney who is quite talented, who uh, Carmen uh, Carmi tries to develop into a talent and there's quite a bit of going on. The show is only about eight episodes with each episode mercifully being under 30 minutes long. However, the show is by God, is it so lean and efficient uh, plot points come and they're developed very quickly and nothing feels rushed, but nothing feels drawn out either. And the drama comes fast and furious. However, the main thing people will talk about, uh, well, there's two main things. First is that this show very accurately and wonderfully captures the chaos of working in a kitchen. I did not work in this type of kitchen, but I have worked in a kitchen and just the pure chaos, the drama, the uh, the tension, the anxiety-inducing quick-pacedness of the setting is fully captured here, as well as just the uh, kind of ugliness. Everything looks like it's covered in soot and sweat. Everyone's smoking like a chimney. It's great. They're also famously, episode seven is all t- done in a single shot, which people have talked about online as well. Uh, however, the real star of the show is the internal drama of our main character, Carmi who is a complicated character. He is a flawed character, but he is a character that you do want to cheer for. And as the show goes on, you learn to love and care for all of the cast of characters. And really just a masterful stroke of writing where such a wide cast of seemingly a lot of characters, by the end, you really get to know all of them, which is really impressive. Uh, The show is both a tense drama. It is very heartbreaking and sad in parts. It's also quite funny, Um, sometimes funny in a sad way, uh, sometimes funny in just a regular funny way. Also, there is a good number of shockingly high-profile actors that show up throughout the show. Molly Ringwald shows up for one scene as a leader of an AA meeting. Uh, the reveal of the actor playing uh, his deceased brother is quite something. Uh, Joel McHale shows up for one scene. <laughs> to however, just be his, a monster. <laughs> yeah, it, to be a bad version of Joel McHale, basically. However, that one scene is very pivotal. And I guess we played a lot. All The great Oliver Platt shows up for two episodes. Uh, but the real stars are... Our central core cast of lovable, down-their-luck people working at a failing kitchen. And uh, man, oh man, as somebody with uh, anxiety, I found some bits hard to k- keep my eyes on the screen for. Uh, but it is this film, uh, film, this TV show has been widely cre- uh, critically acclaimed and praised by just about everyone who's seen it. And it's one of those shows that initially the pitch wasn't something I was particularly interested in. I'm not someone who likes sort of kitcheny dramas or stuff about restaurants or that sort of thing however uh about five to ten minutes in the first episode is completely hooked uh the music is terrific there's lots of great choices there is a recurring they use a song from the doom trailer a video game trailer over and over again um which is, is that really from the is yeah. or does, is it just that it sounds like it no it's it was used in one of the trailers for doom i when i worked at gamestop it played <laughs> over awesome. and over again <laughs> 
So <laughs> it's, it's pretty fitting though, <laughs> but it's, it's awesome. It's this wonderfully yeah. building, um, uh, rock song. So I really enjoy the bear. There's a lot to talk about with it. And I gotta say, like, it, we talk about star making performances, but when people talk about star making performances, so you talk about somebody who gets a lot, like emotes a lot or has a tearful monologue or something. However, Jeremy Allen White has this understated sadness and growing, uh, like you can see kind of the seething fire underneath. You can see just seeing him react to difficult situations where you can tell he wants to blow up, but he's doing his best to keep everything together. And then when he does finally uh, blow up at various parts where things just become too difficult, uh, it's a wonderful central performance. However, uh, Ebon Moss Bachrock, I don't know if I'm saying that right, who plays Richie, his cousin. Also is great. Awesome. Really, really great. Uh, some of you may know him as playing Micro in the Punisher TV series. Uh, he is just excellent here as just a foul mouth uh, city guy. He says lots of <laughs> slurs and swears. And it if he seems skeevy, turns out he is a little skeevy. Uh, but there's something really wonderful about his, his relationship with uh, the uh, the bear, Carmi. So uh, everyone's great. And all one of the guys from Odd Future is in this is a guy who makes cakes. It's great. So... Hey there, it's your friendly neighborhood call to action. Just checking in on you. Hope you're doing all right. I'm just stopping by to say, you know, if you enjoy the show, you can always subscribe and write a review for Cinematic Doctrine. There's iTunes, Podchaser, basically anywhere you listen. You can give us a shout out with a thumbs up, five stars, gripping positivity. Or if you hate the show, you can say that too. Hey, what? What are you saying? Why are you saying that? Well, I'm not going to tell them what to do, Ted. They're free to do what they want. Our analytics say we got a lot of listeners in the U.S., and you know they love their freedoms. And you're also free to check out our Twitter. Very active there. We host polls, memes. There's also the Cinematic Doctrine Facebook group called Cinematic Doctrine Facebook group. If you want to join, just answer the questions, read the rules, and tell them the podcast sent you. Also, you should check out our website. Some really cool stuff there. Editorials, written reviews for movies we haven't had time to cover. Always check out cinematicdoctrine.com when you get the chance. Oh, uh, Ted also told me I shouldn't forget to mention the Patreon. Something about you can support us or something? Wait, Ted, I thought this was like a hobby thing. You want me to... expand Cinematic Doctrine. You know this Right, right, right. Yeah, I, I forgot. I'm the one who put all this together. Yeah, Cinematic Doctrine has a Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you can gain access to early uncut episodes of the podcast. Oh, and did I mention, you get to tell us what to do. That's right, each month you get to vote on a movie we discuss on the show. Anyways, I gotta run, so I'll see you guys later. Yeah, I really loved it. Um, Melvin, what did you think about it? Uh, this might sound a little strange for people who... Well, first off, I think one of the things about this show that's going to make it hard for people to watch is that it's so realistic. Like, And I'm not just talking about like... Because everyone's been parroting like... It's such a realistic depiction of kitchen stuff. It's like, okay, yeah. But it's also like a really realistic depiction of people and workspace experiences. Yes. I've worked yeah. uh, nine years of food service and I would say about six years at a restaurant. The other four were doing a catering, a uh, very light form of catering, um, and uh, which was great. Uh, that was the best food service I've ever worked. It was very enjoyable. Um, and funnily enough, it was less work, more streamlined, and I got paid significantly more than at the restaurant. Uh, but that's kind of typical because the entire restaurant system 
for the past several decades, frankly, has been a mess. Part of that can even be sourced in like um, systematic forms of racism, because by having people come on as like caterers or as uh, I forget what the term was, um, it's not contract work, but you could pay people who were no longer slaves and now free less money through this legal means as being waiters or waitresses um, and stuff like that. So all that to say is there's some systematic functional problems with restaurant work that are just pervasive, but all of that contributes to like a system that's so deeply ingrained that it's really just deafening and hot, like just tough. And like, so you're kind of tossed into this world that is clearly very ancient <laughs> and and horrible just like the real world and the show is very much set not just in chicago but aware of real world presence just as um i think it's episode seven uh which is most notable for being uh it's the highest rated episode actually but even its opening is just a bunch of montage shots of like stuff that's happened in chicago and so it's very much aware of uh life uh yeah which is really interesting but um, all that to say is I can see this show being very difficult to watch because of those things, because stuff isn't resolved in the way that it would be in a movie or show in movies and shows. Um, people are being written by a, an author and that's why they can have, they can say the right words at the right time. You can clap when something happens, you can get real, but this show, it's almost like the resolution for stuff is the natural resolution of how people talk in real life. Yes. Where like, yes, people get into an argument then they get back together and they maybe don't even resolve the argument from before or share how they feel or actually how they feel is the argument. Um, but then they continue to work together because they also have a, a general understand, a mutual understanding of, uh, of each other in some strange way. All this leads me to say that I think this is one of the most loving shows I've ever seen ever uh, loving pieces of fiction uh, which again is going to be very strange for people who don't, I don't, who I don't think understand how people work in the way that I think they actually do. It does kind of have its like schmaltzy, the ending isn't schmaltzy, but it does have its big emotional like ending where things are kind of resolved. However, it so, but also not clearly, like there's so it. much. Well, there's a, a lot of things unresolved and there's things that are purposely open ended, but like you do get kind of a good emotional like conclusion but it's earned by that point because everyone has been like like you're right on the money when you say this is realistic like people argue in the way that people like human beings argue and disagree and especially among family like the most unresolved tensions are between uh uh the the cousins who are who are running the restaurant where they will just like argue and cuss each other out and just like say some of those hateful <laughs> mean things four, to each other they, like fight each other and yes. kill a hot dog <laughs> and then it's and it's really funny which by the way this show like i didn't even get into that but it is one of the funniest shows of like i almost like i was thinking while watching i was like do i curse on the episode do i do do i just say it's the funniest effing show i've ever seen like it's extremely extremely funny and it's because everyone's so mad at each other. Like there's a scene where like, but they have uh, to be civil. They have to work together. It's right. It's the most like family <laughs> thing I've ever seen where like you just hate <laughs> your siblings and your cousins and your, and your family because no one can bother you the way that they bother you, which is extremely prevalent here. And the comedy there's... doesn't stop. Like it, even no, by no, like no. the last episode, there's a scene where uh, Richard and Carmi are outside smoking and Richard like leans back, sighs and goes, ah, what an a-hole. And Carmi <laughs> looks at him and is like, 
I'm right here. I'm doing nothing. He's like, I'm not talking about you. <laughs> but like, um, yeah, it's just like constantly like extremely funny because like, I think you can see a lot of yourself in it. Like uh, Sydney gets into an argument with Richard uh, in the last, in the second to last episode. And it starts with her just like, she's got the restrained argument uh, stance where like, it's almost like she's forgetting how to talk and stumbling over her own she's words. So which I, she's so mad. She's so mad because she knows if she says how she's really feeling, it's going to just kill this person. And then it isn't less than 20 minutes later, she actually gets into the, the real argument of what she feels about him. And it's some of the most heartbreaking, painful, gasp-worthy things you've heard. Tor is a character that initially you're like, that's the antagonist of the show. But by the time you get to this point, you're like, I want this person to get better and you're seeing that like the things she's saying to him are gonna make it worse and like so you're like it's and it's great and i really appreciate it like i think it's um i i just think this is one of like it's crazy because like the, the things that are said here is like things that like when i ventilated to people like i've said about people like one character says like you are just a waste of space what are you doing here <laughs> like uh, essentially <laughs> saying like the air you breathe is not earned like that's like that's horrible stuff and like i've said stuff like that when i'm really angry but it's not inaccurate like the guy isn't a waste of space but like a lot of the points that she's saying about him are quite biting and accurate sourced inaccuracy expressed incorrectly but guess what that's exactly how people function and there's even times where characters recover like uh tina's character she's the older woman who works at the grills and she um is extremely combative but then over time like she becomes a lot gentler because she's seeing like her propensity for making mistakes isn't like the worst thing in the world, which maybe when she grew up, it was maybe she lives in a household. Where, I like, love this character. It, it was just, great. I, it was one of the best up endings of an episode. Like, yeah, just like uh, this character is very staunch, very frustrating, constantly like get off my back. I know what I'm doing. I've been purposely here sabotages other people. Yeah. And it's really nasty. And then like, as people are patient with her, as people are kind to her, as people congratulate her on doing a nice, well job, as people support her when she makes mistakes and don't like point out and go to her, like saying like, see, you suck. She like has this moment of reflection of like, it's oh. just, it, it's so emotional. Well, it's, I've got to get emotional if we can talk yeah, about it. It's I, just so sweet. Part of why I love this character is I actually a coworker exactly like this, an older African American woman in a kitchen who was bitter, purposely who tried to sabotage other people, and part of it was because she'd been there longer than everyone else, but also because and I talked to my boss about this because she actually tried to get me specifically fired. She. We, I cleaned out the kitchen one night, and then the next day I came in, it was dirty. She had gone in, uncleaned the kitchen, pulled all wow. the garbage out, and threw it on the floor, and then grabbed management to try and tell them that I messed up. Uh, and how they, they find they, out? Like that? That was was there like video or something? Because she's what? the first person in the, in the kitchen every day. Uh, and so, yes, yeah. And um, and management was like, uh, she just does this. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and I talked to my boss about it, and he was like, "Listen, like when she was coming up working in kitchens and stuff, she was." a single black woman in like the sixties, like in seventies, like this is how she survived for years. Cause she had to survive. She had to be cutthroat. She had to like do whatever she could to stay afloat because people were, people were very unkind to her. 
And we just kind of have to like work with her on that. And we just kind of have to like accept that to a, to an extent. Like, obviously you, you right. can't just let someone like right. abuse you, but like, this is just kind of how she is. And so like, I saw so like less extreme, believe it or not than that. I saw that in this character where you have somebody who they know how to survive an environment a certain way. Uh, it's a competitive environment. It's a brutal environment where if you are not cutting the legs from the people, they'll cut the legs out from under you. And so, yeah, seeing that resolve just by being kind and being patient with somebody was very nice. I I was hoping that that's what they would do this character because I think there's your natural instinct as a viewer is to hope that the character gets their comeuppance because like how, why is she turning the heat up on that? Why is she trying to sabotage this other character that because they're one of the default main characters, I'm cheering for them. Uh, it's easy to just really want something bad to happen to them, but I'm glad that the show like went around that and like helped the viewers kind of empathize with her and realize like, yeah, like these characters are not like static. They're changing. And there's a great moment. I think it's episode five or six where you j- they just show kitchen footage. Cause every episode they show kitchen footage and it's the same kitchen, but unlike the first two episodes, it's clean. Everyone's running efficiently. <laughs> They're all wearing the blue aprons. Like mm-hmm. you see this progression uh, naturally just through the way the characters interact with each other, as opposed to like a character sitting down and going, we've really changed a lot around here, huh? You know? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like talking like people who don't exist. And uh, <laughs> yeah, even Catherine, when talking about, so you mentioned efficiency, which I texted you or, or said to you, I can't remember, but like the show um, doesn't waste any of its nope. time in a way that's like frustrating, nor does it like use any of its time in a way that feels expedited. Um my wife was especially happy that like in episode two, a character tells Carmi, like, you need to go to therapy or something. And then the end of the episode, he goes to therapy. And it's not like something where he's waiting till the end because he's staunch or like whatever. It's just like, no, he's a functioning adult. <laughs> and like, he knows how to, um, he, he recognizes his position. He's also prior to the show because of the suicide of his brother being knocked down the pegs that he needs um, to, to reach a point where he he's able to uh, function in a wise manner, which also uh, speaking of Carmi, I found him to be an extremely wise fictional protagonist where he's extremely patient, extremely kind. Um, I am a big fan of like structure. I think it's extremely helpful. In fact, most of my frustrations off the record would ventilate into you is structural frustrations with people who I'm encouraged to look up to for help and guidance. And then they let me down. And it's not even a sense in which like, and I've been said to this where it's like, uh, two things the the phrase you need to know i'm going to let you down which is i think a very toxic phrase uh because that implies that i know the future and you do too so we're going to just make assumptions about it that is not believing that you live in a fallen world where mistakes happen that's a functionally different idea uh, because that implies like when you do let me down it's my fault for not reacting appropriately and that's not true uh, I don't believe so. I, I believe if you wrong me, how I react is rational. That doesn't mean it's healthy for me. Like if I choose to sin, then I'm, I need, I'm going to suffer for that. But if I choose not to, that's also good too. But you don't get to decide how I react to that because that's out of your control. I forget the second thing. I did the, the carnal sin of the podcast, which is say you're going to have two things and you forget the second one. So we'll just uh, recognize that I do that in every episode and move on. But um, his character has this sense in which like he kind of just like recognizes the situation and like perseveres and, 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 and seeks structure knowing that structure is going to help. And structure does help when you have a reliability system, uh, something that you can look at outside of yourself to handle situations. It's just kind and nice. And for me, I, 
I yearn for structure. In fact, where I work, I purposely have tried not to move up more in the company because I want to be in a position that's in the middle where not a middle manager, that's for sure. I don't want to do that. That's that's like a landlord tier. Don't do, don't do that. Um, sorry that I just called out any landlords in the, who listen to the podcast, but ooh, gross. But um, My landlord's I like great to for be... the record. So. <laughs> I just going to say it. <laughs> it's not like I'm saying anything new <laughs> about on the internet. But I really enjoy having a structure of power and reliability to be able to give direction because I think I've been gifted with a good insight to how stuff works, but also having someone just above me who can validate whether it's helpful, give me direction when it's not, and uh, someone I can go to to say, uh, I need help or something like that. I I find that extremely comforting. And so to see that in a show uh, depicted in a healthy way as something that's helpful is nice as opposed to like every other, like I said to Kat, I like a show like The Bear where it depicts work in a healthy way, despite the fact that it's so dysfunctional. It doesn't depict work as inherently bad. It doesn't have characters who we never see go to work, but constantly talk bad about it. Uh, Catherine then jokingly said like, oh, like any Seth Rogen project, <laughs> like where characters never work and they just smoke and they get mad about their jobs. And it's like, I don't even know where you work. <laughs> what are you talking about? What you, what's going on? Uh, it's like the opposite of clerks or something. But yeah, I don't know. I, I There's a lot that I really loved about this. And yeah, but but like I said, to, to track back to it, like I just think this is some of the most loving depictions of people and how people function. Yeah, I think, um, and like- when- I actually said to Kat, oh, that was going to be my opener. I was going to say, this is the most loving show I've seen. And I've seen The Chosen. Oh, boom, boom. Because, you know, it's about Jesus. Yeah. But good, it's good thing we clearly got that fictional. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't have missed that. Yeah. Um, Check out our episode in The Chosen where we say it's really good fiction, but not real. <laughs> yes. <laughs> totally I, I, I stand by my negative-ish review of The Chosen. And my, my feelings towards it become more negative by the day. But I also uh, kind of find myself more negative about it. I mean, obviously, I enjoyed it at the time, but I think you made an astute depiction uh, de- de- declaration about it, mini review of The Chosen right now. But <laughs> that, like, it's good fiction, and it's depicting stuff that I'm already predisposed to find joy in. But is this healthy? I'm not well, so sure. Yeah, but... What, what- well, there was recent, not well, recently as in the last few months, but someone like messaged the guy from the chosen and, and said, like, my dad's not a believer, but he made a comment like, you know, if Jesus is real, I really would love to like follow this Jesus. And it's like the actor of the show. Yeah, and he's like, wow, I love hearing stuff like this. And of course, all the reform people on Twitter were like exploding. He's like, that's the exact reason we don't like this show. You've literally created an idol for this person to worship. We're like, he's just like, I don't know about this Bible stuff. But this actor from The Chosen, I really want to worship this guy. Uh, it's uh, Anyway, um, should we do a future episode where we kind of talk about it again? We don't have to watch well, season two. Well, we could just two, do season two or something, right? Yeah, and I guess. We could Trojan horse in our just a general dislike for The Chosen. We could, do, we could, I, we could cut, claim cut. to review season two of Chosen and then just hit record no, and just rant about The Chosen. But we've actually have just read the Gospels <laughs> past that part. And yeah, I, there's some good con- content on that that I've been thinking of putting up, but I think an expanded discussion on it where you asked me, does the world need more depictions of Jesus like this? And I said, well, I think if people made their version of Jesus, 
then I would better understand what they think about God. And then I can actually like not refute it in a, I don't mean that in a nasty way, but I can actually go to scripture for specific points that show who God actually is in contrast to what they believe he is. And so I was like, yeah, give everybody like $2 million to make a chosen season so I can know what they think about Jesus. Um, I'm sure it would help with evangelism, but Honestly, like I think the bear depicts people <laughs> and their need for love and care better than something like the Chosen did. Yeah, so but like, I digress. Because yeah, uh, Carmi's relationship with Sydney specifically is so like nurturing. Like he's obviously like believes in her, trying to push her. He he mentions that he expects more of her because she clearly has talent. So when he um, kind of betrays that trust and really like. Um, just like hurts her you feel like it feels like a real betrayal and her reaction to it like is so like understandable and sydney in general is just a great character where she's and every workplace has this person where she where you have someone who's young they're talented and they're a dreamer and they have clear visions of like they they have an instinct for me at 22 yeah yeah everyone at the, well everyone yeah everyone fresh out of college or like 22 years old or but like they're thrust into an environment that isn't naturally nurturing to their talents and gifts. Like, like this is not an environment where she can like initially at least can flourish. And so when he creates that structure, when he tries to create, get a, a French line going or whatever, um, she starts to like really develop and starts to really like um, come into her own as like a sous chef, you know? And, but when they have their conflicts and when he, like when she's looks up to him and trusts him and really like it's, it's in some ways he's like a role model to her. And when he, that role model like evaporates before her very eyes where he just becomes like the bad version of himself essentially. And of course the most famous episode of the show at this point, it's, it's such a, it's a hurt on such a deep level where like he's cut her to her core and she just can't take anymore. And he does the same thing uh, to Marcus where he yes. has his dream and he is like, he but he's really so wrapped up in it, wrapped up in <laughs> it, and it's like, and it's like and, um, amazing. ADHD like, it, <laughs> kids rise up. We all know what that's like. <laughs> so, and yeah. but like he just like it's weird because it's like at the moment I get it. Like you're in a crisis situation, you need all hands on deck, and he comes to you and says, "Look, I've made this donut." <laughs> and you're just yeah. like, he's just like, "What?" <laughs> like he just like freaks are you, out. Are you effing with me? You're effing with me. Why it's, are you effing with me right now? Both reactions are completely understandable to me. Where I have been both people in that situation. Yeah. Where I yes. I was looking for praise, right? He comes to you, he's expecting, like, oh man, great. Like I'm so proud of you. And he just gets screamed at. Like I get both things. And so he just like walks out and uh it's a, like again, going into the details about how some of the drama uh shakes out is a bit of a spoiler if you haven't gathered from us talking about it right now. I really recommend you. It's eight episodes. All, every episode except it's for like four the last hours one. long yeah and it's, well the last the seventh episode is 20 minutes and then the eighth episode is 40 minutes so it's yeah. still leveled out yeah and, uh, and that it's like yeah seventh episode is 19 minutes duffer brothers take notes credits, please so. <laughs> take some notes yeah i mean i guess we <sighs> want to get into a little bit more into spoilers right now or we can if we want yeah i i definitely want to say hard hard uh comment not hard, uh what is it hard recommendation that you watch the show because part of what makes the show so joyful is the watching every character develop and uh also just the comedy is great wouldn't want to spoil really any of it and how everything just kind of gets handled is great 
Um, this is one of the best advertisements for Xanax I've ever seen uh, for kids' parties. <laughs> yeah. And uh, But yeah, definitely, definitely. I'm almost specifically talking to one person that I know is going to just listen to the full episode right now. Don't. <laughs> Go watch the show. It's so short. And then finish it, finish out the rest of this episode afterward. But uh, yeah, we could, we could, what, what in particular did you want to, uh, well, you so want to get into? There's things that you think are going to be big plot points that aren't like Oliver Platt. So shows up as uncle Jimmy, uh, who has lent them like $300,000 to like keep the store going, to keep the restaurant going. And you think at first that that's going to be kind of a running thing where part of the issue is that they have, Oh, the mob money. And that's where the drama is coming from. And that just isn't like, it just kind of resolves on its own where uh, Oliver Platt's character loves their uh, brother who's passed away and <clears throat> part of it is that their brother is uh mikey is played by john bernthal the punisher uh which is great he he this is like the second thing i've seen him specifically he plays a deceased older brother that the person looks up to <laughs> uh he just has that way where he has he's so just, much charisma he's yeah. so charismatic in a he warm, even gets the last way. shot of the show which is really crazy to me <laughs> uh i thought that was wild but yeah he, he is the his cheesy smiles the one that that sends you off on the credits and you're just crying no one because, else's smile could do it that way though because <laughs> let down by radiohead's playing is that what you you texted me and said you're gonna like something about that last no, episode is that what all was, i could or? think of the last episode was there's money in the banana stand oh i didn't think about that that's <laughs> i never would have thought that but that's pretty good um, yeah but yeah so he's he and he's, he almost burned it down he almost let the <laughs> shop burn down uh um, yeah, Talk about John, callbacks. The show has great callbacks yes. to everything. Everything There's is set up. Everything is almost is, as many callbacks off. as Hot Rod. It's really crazy. <laughs> um, there's a whole thing, and I don't know if you've seen the season two of Only Murders in the Building, but there's mm-hmm. a whole thing about callbacks, and that, that's pretty great. But, um, but yeah, so John Bernthal is Mikey, who has committed suicide for unknown reasons. He didn't leave, as far as I know, didn't leave a note. Um, and so h- half of the drama behind the scenes is that they're constantly trying to unravel what happened with the money? Like the, the restaurant was always losing money. There was moments where they didn't even have napkins because he just wasn't paying the vendors and it's nuts. And so they're, they're constantly trying to unravel the books and figure out what's going on because the restaurant is just slowly dying parallel to this. They're trying to modernize the restaurant, uh, bring some structure to it. And here we see, we get like kind of the main thematic, uh, tension in the show, which is that Richie, um, <laughs> there's a great moment where he's talking to some like, I think are drug dealers. Like there's just a lot of skeevy individuals in the show. They're talking about how there's construction across the street and an old bar they like is gone and they're putting in a sweet green, which is very funny. Cause have you ever, have you ever eaten at sweet green? No, I have not. Sweet green is delicious. They don't sponsor us or anything, but I love sweet green, but it is, a, it is a great example of like kind of a gentrified, like trendy food place, but even though it's delicious. And so for Richie, like he doesn't want change. Like change is scary it's foreign to him and it means that like life is moving on kind of without him. And there's this wonderful episode where it starts off with him. There's this tender memory between him and John Bernthal, which is funny because it's micro and Punisher together again. And they're telling a funny story and the story involves Bill Murray. And then it cuts to him telling the same story to a woman on a date. And it, and it's this horrible moment with everyone with social anxieties experience where you tell a story that you think is funny. And the person that you're talking to, doesn't think it's funny at all. And is in fact mildly horrified at the story that you're telling. And it's this great moment where like the world, like the world has just completely moved on without him. Like the life that he used to have is gone. And the restaurant that is his one safe place where not only is it the same thing that hasn't changed, it's where he has control. 
This is like his kingdom that he rules over, and that is being taken away from him as well. Or even his uh, coworker, who um, Tina, who used to just joke around with, as actually likes the new way things are going. She likes that they're more efficient and that she is a better cook for it, and all this stuff. And there's this—it's just a sad episode of a person where life has just completely left him behind. And part of why he's so hostile towards um, towards uh, Carmi is because Carmi is trying to take that away from him too. And granted, it all ties in the unresolved uh, sadness he has from Mikey dying. But like, I also have met quite a few people like this, where like even if the change is good and it needs to happen, or else the thing will die, they would rather die with the thing because it's what they know. And when, especially in a life where everything outside of this is chaotic. Um, where mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. his life outside, every he has no control over it. He's a drug dealer. He's got like he sees uh, like his 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 marriage is falling apart. His legal uh, last name is now Bad News. Yes, <laughs> his yeah. wife has changed his, his his name to Bad News in this phone because every time he calls, he has Bad News. So the one thing he can hold on to is also being taken away from him. And it's great because like for the most of the show, he's just a screaming like completely unreasonable person who's just constantly getting in the way he is the character you will hate at first but as you watch the show you'll be like oh no i'm part of the problem yeah well (laughs) yeah exactly where like it's one of those things where initially you're just like man if he was just out of the way everything would go swimmingly which is part of what um part of why he gets such a horrible tongue lashing in episode seven uh, because sydney very accurately describes him as somebody who's kind of a loser in a way uh however like yeah like it's like the reason he is the way he is though is so so is spelled out so beautifully in the show um yeah it's just like that that to me is one of the more masterful strokes of the show where by the end of, at the end of the last like midway through the last episode where he finally recognizes that Carmi is like not only like the last actual connection he has to his own past like Carmi is his family he's the only person who really sticks by him and cares for him at all uh, compared to everyone else in his life where he realizes that it's worth changing the restaurant. It's worth letting go of these other things because he gets to then hold on to Carmi instead is mm-hmm. really beautiful. Um, and, you know, and also there's quite a bit here where they don't over explain everything, which I enjoy. Like you never quite fully understand what Mikey is doing. Like you get the sense that Mikey was recognized that the restaurant wasn't his brother, uh, brother's future. And so he was willing to let the restaurant kind of tank because he was squirreling money away in uh, in spaghetti canisters. Like he was, I guess he was giving money to these other people, but they, they, which they would then put in the canisters and just um, leave in the restaurant, which is itself foreshadowed because someone makes a comment of like, "Why do we have all these tomato cans? We don't even use tomatoes." Yeah. Um, but or so, but they're always getting the bigger sized ones because it would be cheaper than collecting all these smaller ones. Yeah, yeah and like, like I don't know, I don't know. And so it turns out he did leave a note and um, the note first, it right. He, it, he, he writes a letter rip on it, which was what he would always tell Carmi uh, before to encourage him to let him do something that's scary. And so and on the note, it just says let it rip. And then there's just like a recipe for like the family spaghetti. And then when he opens up the tomato can, turns out he's been hiding money in the cans. And then everyone in the restaurant just starts opening the cans up together. Um, and it, I like this a yeah a because we don't fully we don't ever get like a full explanation from Mikey as to why he did this. We can infer it based on what we see in the show, where Mikey believes in Carmi. He knows that he's talented, and he know in part of why we can assume that part of why he kept him away from the restaurant is because he knew the restaurant was kind of like a dead end. While Carmi, you know, needed to go elsewhere to flourish to really develop his talents. Mm-hmm. And when he says let it rip, he's 
because he's saying like, yeah, you have to change. So, like, so uh, the end thing is that the the beef is going to become the bear, and they're going to reopen the restaurant, and he's going to let Sydney implement her ideas, and Richie's on board, and um, it's just such a nice resolution to the entire show. And there's, it's like this beautiful look at like redemption as well as conflict resolution. All these characters say all these awful, mean, terrible things to each other, and they scream and shout at each other, but they all come together in the end and are able to forgive each other in, again, very understated ways where there isn't like a scene where Sydney and Carmi like hug each other or something. I don't even think Richie and Carmi hug, really, uh, but they all understand each other and they all empathize with each other and they all have kind of recognize where they've gone wrong and where they need to change, but also where they uh, can forgive each other. It's just... Mm-hmm. It's a lovely little show. I I really quite enjoy it. I don't know if there's anything that you want. There's so there's so many things that happen in this show. So there's plenty to talk about. But I don't know if there's anything that you not to make this episode uh, criminally short. But like, I there's not really a lot more I feel like to say other than like it's just so <laughs> just kind and sweet despite itself. And I I was curious like, well it, yeah it, like it it feels so much more tender than other shows because everything feels genuine. Like, yeah, nobody, nobody drops down to their knees and screams, I love you or anything. But yeah, like, because the conflict they have initially feels so real and raw, like when they do resolve things, it feels earned, it feels genuine. And like, they resolve things in the way that a lot of adults will resolve conflict, especially people in, you know, people with rougher exteriors, like they're, they're not going to hug and kiss and say they're sorry, they're going to, um, they're going to just sort of nod at each other and acknowledge that, that, that they are sorry, um, which makes like like when Richie and Carmi really have their moment of reconciliation is part of what makes that scene so uh, pal- powerful is that Richie is actually getting emotional, which you could say he's emotional by virtue of being someone who's constantly screaming and shouting. Yes. Um, but then even Carmi is like, you know, by his own admission, Carmi is not particularly emotive. Like mm-hmm. it, it's, it's what makes we say all this, but then there are scenes where people just have little monologues. Like he goes to the A meeting and he just lays out. He just like, looks into the camera and tells you his story, it's, <laughs> which it's, I liked. It was, yeah. it was really well, good. Well, it's like you look at the episode, it's the one episode's like 45 minutes, but the first like eight to nine minutes is just him talking, which is totally fine. It totally works for this show. Um, and even in that, in his little monologue, he mentions that he's not particularly funny. He's not particularly charismatic. And so, like, when Richie's, like, literally crying and telling him that he's all he has, like, Carmi is just kind of like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and mm-hmm. but it completely works for these characters. And that's, mm-hmm. I think, part of why it feels so, like, there's an underlying sweetness to all the saltiness, if you know, because it's a cooking show. And um, and so, like, when, like, um, Sydney, like, just quietly agrees to come back to the restaurant and um, she, what's it? where she's kind of been an outsider to an extent because she's young and she's the hot shot and she's trying to change things. She shows up and they're all just like opening tomato cans and just grabbing money out of them. Yeah. And Richie's just like, come in here, get in here. And so like, what are they you doing? Yeah. Back. Which and, is really sweet. Cause yeah. like they're the, like their last thing wasn't just that they argued and she said, she stabbed extremely him. nuts. <laughs> yeah. He like backs up and gets stabbed. And then uh fact is just like, I heard you got stabbed. That's pretty cool. <laughs> oh yeah. And that's Maddie Matheson. Who's like, he's like a famous <laughs> online food, like uh chef. So the fact he's like the one of the only characters in the show that doesn't make any food is like, I want to cook. And he never gets yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, even that, like, it's just so great. Yeah. I, I, um, we, we can talk about that one single shot episode which is just a complete it's like it's 
if you've ever worked in like a high fast paced environment, this is the fever nightmare you have at night. Um, where yes, where everything like, goes wrong, everything possible goes wrong. A guy gets stabbed, you know, like you have a hundred million orders that you can't complete. People are quitting on the spot and, and crying. It's Someone's just, not focusing on their actual job because they're so focused on something else that they want to do. There's another character who tries to console another character, but it's really not the time for consoling. And it's just like, it's, uh, it's this really amazing episode. I, I think, um, I was reminded of a, there's like a YouTube video essay. Um, how many Hail Marys should I say now that I just said that phrase? <laughs> I don't know. I hate, I, I really do not like video essays. Um, I think they're mostly unresearched and not very good, but, um, but you got to do something between your classes at college, I suppose. Um, but there is one talking about berserk and how like, which I'm not recommending. I'm just name dropping um, how like part of what makes the story of berserk. So, comforting is that it's it's actually a really quiet story despite how violent and like over the top the 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 series is and i felt that with the bear too where like the show is uh actually extremely quiet and like it's those times where characters um go out for cigarette breaks talk um that become like these extreme moments of of i don't know real comfort despite the fact that like when they step outside it's not like the problem's gone away it's still very much there but they're taking time to reflect and and talk like um one where carmy and richard are outside smoking and like uh carmy's like you ever like afraid of a good moment happening because you feel like a bad moment's right there too and it's like mm-hmm. yes, <laughs> and richard's yeah, also yeah. like talking about like just feeling like he's perpetually bad he's like i don't know if that's the same <laughs> it's like that's exactly what communication feels like when talking with coworkers uh, in high stress situations or or whatever, or even in low stress because you're just talking. Um, I don't know. There's something really like nice and sweet about this whole uh, show that I I really hope more and more people watch. I actually feel like this is the kind of show that can help people understand people better, uh, which I feel like is much more valuable. Uh, like when you when we talk about why film and fiction are important like this i feel like is one of those uh pieces of media that like really express that value Uh, i kept remembering you talking about a quote that samuel L. jackson had where someone was like why would why would anyone watch pulp fiction what's the point of watching something where people are just bad and he's like well because this is how you hang out with them this is how you get to know them because you're not gonna otherwise which is true like i i was um i was thinking a lot about like a christian cultural perspective of this show not a christian perspective Uh, a christian perspective and value of this i think we've expressed just by talking about it so i don't really need to get into but a christian cultural perspective of this is very easy to be like why would anybody want to hang out with these people they could be taxing for your evangelism get in the way of your evangelism uh, make it difficult for you to continue in your own spiritual walk be constant temptations for you to be angry because usually people talk about temptation as specifically being lust and no like your temptation to get outbursts and be nasty could be there um and so you would avoid this p- situation like the plague uh you would never go there um and yet like from a christian perspective this is like the exact place to be and your perseverance and your kindness to one another is what transforms uh, people and uh, gives them insight and taste the flavor of Jesus that uh, is so uh, comforting and kind and uh, can get you to a point in which you get to 
understand like your your twofoldness of how horrible you are in sin and how in need of a loving savior you are. And uh, so like, I don't know if you kind of were thinking of that while watching. I know you've had a lot going on, so you might have also <laughs> just watched out of general enjoyment. Uh, but like, I w- that was constantly going on in my mind where I was like, this show, part of what makes it so loving is that it's like, there's so much hope for growth in the show because uh, the introduction of Carmi's so nice. Yeah, it's 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 fundamentally a show about not being stuck. Right. Yeah. And and some like and and just the last thing, I mean, the the focus on food and the act of eating is so uh underutilized, I would say, in fiction. Um and I'll say that by saying two things. One, and I'll actually have two things. One is that people usually in when they're stuck, I find, in writing will then just have characters go and get food and talk over it, uh, which I think is really cheap way to give characters to do something while they, uh, you know, <laughs> talk about some some plot or exposition. But two, I think when it's used well, kind of asserts the a very human aspect, which is I cannot exist without eating. I cannot exist without making food. So like the act of preparing food is work. And you can either do it to survive, so you just eat bread <laughs> with butter on it, I don't know, and drink some milk, or you can do it and see it as an expression of of existing and finding joy in existing by laboring over the kind of food you make. And um, I think uh, having that as a central plot point, or even as my wife observed, like working with people and seeking the betterment of others is like the patient hard work of cooking because it is so sweaty and stressful and sometimes doesn't come out yeah. right. And but when it there's does, always room for improvement. Yes. And there's always room for improvement with another dish, but like there's, and, and then the reward of eating is so like, I, I said at work one time where like, I've had a steak that made me cry. And one of my coworkers was like, what? And I was like, Hey, you bring Lunchables to work every day. So I know you're not eating steak, <laughs> like not in a classist way, but I've eaten a way where it's like, you're not going out of your way to eat food. That's like, experiential and like i like i've said I've, I've bitten into steaks before or like lobster or like even just burgers that are like oh my gosh like i am so happy to be alive i'm so happy to have taste buds this is wonderful and um i think uh all of that was really nice because at the end of the day if you really hate somebody hatred really leads to wanting someone to die but when you get down to like sitting at a table and eating, there's almost this mutual respect of like, no, I, I would like for us to be alive. And like the fact that the show starts previously before the show starts uh, with a suicide and never has one in the actual show when you really think there may be one because a gun has been set up and a character is being is, is very depressed despite all their yelling. I'm talking about Richard. Um, I don't know. It's extremely heartwarming and uh, kind. I don't, like I said, I don't know if you were kind of thinking about the Christian slash evangelism slash human condition, something, something human condition um, stuff. But I mean, that's always in the back of my, my head, mind. obviously. I think as yeah. I mentioned before, it's impossible to, to separate your own worldview from how yes, you view things. 100%. So yeah, I, I think there is like a quiet patience that's displayed throughout the show where like people, Though they, there's a level where some they're being civil to each other because they just have to get through the day, and like which is one of the grinding horrible things about these sorts of jobs is like 
you just survive to the next day and then your nightmare starts over again. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that element to it, obviously. But like there is like a growing level of like appreciation for one another um, where they show each other quite a bit of forgiveness and grace from in like a day to day sense where they are able to sort of um, forgive each other for their uh, for their shortcomings. And also like in the process, they also learn to treat each other better. And I, I found I found that quite sweet. I mean, I. It's. I'm not gonna like assume. I'm not gonna sit there and say that the show displays like a Christian understanding of forgiveness or redemption. Um, we get no indication that the characters are motivated about that sort of thing. We get no. Ind- we don't know what happens the next day. But like they could all go back to bickering tomorrow. <laughs> for, for all we know, the instant the bear opens up, they might just hate each other even more than they ever have before. Uh, but the one of the final moments is that they're all sitting down at a table and sharing a meal together, um, and that's very beautiful. Like there, there is something. Um, I, I, I love when characters sit down and eat and talk to each other, even if it's like really like hacky or whatever, because I think there's something so intimate about sharing a meal together and like, yes, well, I agree. I, what I mean is like the, the, you can tell when I feel like someone doesn't wrote themselves in a corner and isn't sure what to do next. It's like, well, Uh, people got to eat, but they'll never have (laughs) them use stalls next to each other and go to the bathroom, which reminds me, I got to make a list. I've been meaning to make a list of fictional worlds confirmed to have, uh, bathrooms and it's not th- and they have to be used if if a car- uh-huh. if there's a bathroom but it's not used it could just be a decoration in that world i don't know but like they never pleasant, use it pleasantville <laughs> you ever see that movie no i haven't why what, it's a that? movie where characters get sucked into like a 1950s sitcom and one of the jokes in the movies the characters like i need to go to the bathroom and he goes to the bathroom he opens the stall and there's just no toilet in it <laughs> and it's just like oh, of course <laughs> that's awesome yeah yeah because i like as far as i know like the, they just have it because it's aesthetic it's it's maybe in that world this is a sign of class but not here in this movie yeah. <laughs> i mean this show they um they, we confirmed there's water that comes out of the toilets they can explode but nobody <laughs> goes to the bathroom to use it yeah nobody goes but, to the bathroom to use it if if no one is actively going to the bathroom to use it I don't, I'm yeah. not, I don't know, so I, it wouldn't be out in the list. I but think, I digress. I cut you off for something yeah, really think, stupid. As, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you ever notice how movies, they don't use a toilet? <laughs> like, so anyway, uh, about forgiveness. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, no, but I think, I think as human beings, as people created by God, we have a natural desire for redemption, forgiveness, and reconciliation. I think that's just part of our DNA and makeup. It's part of why so many stories... A revolve around these things and why is like the average person if there's a conflict between you and someone else you want some sort of resolution between that like um and so like I, I in that way we do see that here where the characters all by the end not only do they come together and forgive they come together around a comic goal they're working together they're mutually excited for one another at the end they they're happy about this shared moment you get a sense that the money that Mikey is, has uh, hidden away is going to be shared amongst them as they're all talking about what they're going to do and how they're going to get a new truck and all that stuff. Uh, there's also something that I really like where all of these characters are all very quirky and they all just seem to accept that. Like there's the one guy who was in Somalia, I guess, and he tells all these like war stories and they mm-hmm. all just like, they're just cool with that. Like half the time he'll say something and he kind of maybe doesn't even understand what's going on half the time. And they're all just like, yeah, that's just how he is. And there is something really sweet about that where they just kind of accept like, ah, that's just he saw people die in some other country in some war. We don't even understand. Whatever. You know, well, it's also like even the beginning of episode seven is which that's actually the same one. But um, it starts with a, one of the guys reading the newspaper review for the restaurant. And like he's 
very slow at reading. Yeah, um, he's doing the finger on the paper thing. Right? But yeah. it's so like sweet that they're all listening to him and like patiently like obviously they don't want him to be reading like because it's like you got to get to work yeah it's like an hour before opening or something but there's still like um yeah i i think um when thinking of again this christian cultural response to it not to the movie not that there's an actual response to the show but like there's this kind of pursuit of homogenization of how people engage one another and how people uh, function and talk and language and everything. It's it's like turning culture into religion as opposed to like every tribe, tongue, and nation is going to worship the Lord, um, those that are his, of course. And that's going to be in completely different ways than how we talk and how we work. And, and the way you exhibit the fruit of the Spirit doesn't require that you have the same level of comprehension or even the same level of uh, of... I don't know. I'm trying to describe it, but yeah, culture, I guess, is the word to use. Um, and uh, I I like that there's this idea of like how they all accept one another despite their flaws is so um, nuanced and, and, and permissible. Um, even like, it's not ideal, but like, even when like Tina's getting mad at the one guy during like the last episode is like yelling at him, says something like you're being such a B word. And he's like, that's sexist. What are you talking about? <laughs> and it's like, he obviously doesn't care. It's phased right past him. Cause they're they're. It's not a big deal. Like if that makes any sense. Uh, yeah. You could be kinder, but also like, I don't know. There, there's something about it. That's even like a passive grace to one another that, that I appreciate both in specific frustrations and non-specific frustrations. Um, but also there's like, uh, a hope that eventually they will yet yeah, like ultimately be kinder to one another. But I don't know in, in this particular age, it's a process and a patience that's required. Um, another thing that I, I, I quite uh, liked too, was that I feel like I've been meditating a lot on this particular age we're in. So like post Eden, but pre new earth and um, kind of like this idea that like we're living in a particular age where suffering and sin exists. What a novel, novel thing to say, but that there is like a unique joy that comes from this age that wasn't in Eden and won't be on the new earth, which is the progress from going from sin, like evil to good. If that makes sense that like there there's a, um, this is going to be the worst thing I've said on the podcast. But. Oh boy, folks, get ready! <laughs> but in get, the vi- get your the, snip tools ready to share share this part the, all around. The uh, in the hit video game Skyrim, <laughs> one of the dragons. I hate it already. I know one of the dragons has a, a line, and it's like the only time that the game's interesting because that game has really bad writing. Um, but is like a character and he probably didn't come up with it on the spot. He probably read it on the back of a cereal box. Uh, captain, captain crunch says it, uh, I am going to make that Canon. That's my head Canon for the writing of Skyrim and any Elder Scrolls game. But, um, basically the placidious act says something like what's better being born great or someone growing, uh, some being born good or someone evil turning good. And like, it's an interesting thing to think about, uh, where I guess you could say both, (laughs) but like there is a unique joy in that, which is ugly being made beautiful. And the whole show is kind of that with Carmi really trying to turn this horrible place where customers are in the restaurant and Richard is yelling at people and people are yelling back to him. And it's just horrible, toxic. I have been in a restaurant 
where a manager had to come and tell people to be quiet because their la- their language was so vile. It wasn't mine. Just going to put that out there. But it's like, you cannot do that. You cannot do that. I, <laughs> that that I, happened to, when I was working at Burger King back way back in the day. This is like when I was like 19 or something. Um, there was like the guy who's working the drive-through just kept his mic on, so like he'd be like, "This person <laughs> is so stupid!" Like I was just screaming. And, right, and eventually, the manager was just like, "They can hear you! They can hear you! You need to yeah. stop!" And he just yeah, went, it's really oh, bad. He started screaming and swearing. He was like, "I quit!" And he threw his headset down and walked off. It's and bad. That was the yeah. first day I worked the drive-through. <laughs> they were just like, "All right, Dan, like, it's your time to shine, baby." It was like, okay, "Yeah, it's you know. it is. It's not good." And so, like, that but, was a wild job. <laughs> but like, while you're experiencing this frustration, and as audience members, we're not in it, so we get to find joy in it. It's funny. Like, it is objectively like silly. Like, I'm laughing because I'm like, "That's terrible. This is really bad." <laughs> like. <laughs> Can you imagine the drive-through and you're like, "Could I get that with no pickles?" And you hear, "This is so stupid." <laughs> like, yeah, it's like so really stupid? bad. <laughs> pickles on who puts ketchup on hot dogs? <laughs> it's like kids, kids oh put ketchup on hot dogs. <laughs> it's so uh, funny. But what were we talking about? We're talking about the bear, which is quite a good show that people should check out. It, I will say, like, there's a unique joy to seeing bad turn good, and yes. I think that, um, well, there's something so beautiful about like. The, like the the minimal redemption that characters who are so inherently flawed and but it's not just ceiling, minimal it's huge you know? like it well, is the, yeah it's huge and for them it's massive like this is massive growth and that's so you know? wonderful like to be able to witness that and i think um i think this gets to the heart of one of the biggest frustrations about living in this age that even christians have where like in reading the psalms the psalmists are even like why are we waiting god like what is what is your patience like why why are we in this age why isn't judgment here yet and even in heaven there are people pining for like god when is this going to end like people weeping in heaven which is one of the most interesting things for some people to to understand mostly in a sanitized christianity that they're weeping in heaven because judgment isn't here yet like when are the people that were unkind to us and nasty and evil when is evil finally going to be punished and it's like you see something like this where it's it's fictional sure but you see a character who's been sabotaging other people is extremely nasty and unkind who then finally gets to be like it's not even like carmy goes wow that is the best thing you've ever cooked he's like this is good chef and (laughs) she's just like oh there's nothing wrong he's like yeah any good job and then he's just back to work and she just turns around and she's just elated. And like, I feel like when we are able to witness that, that is why God is so patient. Uh, that is why God is so loving in, in even to those who are evil in this yeah. age. And like, I just, I don't know, that gets me excited for being in this age that like we get to be kind to other people because that kindness can transform others into understanding more about God. And I recognize that part of what I'm sounding like is very social gospel. Uh, people will be like, well, what about the actual gospel? It's like, well, that's part of it. Like that's, but like, you don't, you can't, th- people are so complicated and have so many walls that you have to progress through to them. And I just, uh, I think that, I mean, even the the concept of Jesus himself, there's no greater love than this, than a fr- person laying down his life for his friends is like that doesn't exist in Eden and that won't exist in the new earth, but that does exist now. And technically it'll exist everywhere, but like, that's just great. And I think the bear really depicts a lot of that, but you're, yeah. you're itching to say something. You know, yeah. For Christians, like kindness isn't the end 
goal. Like kindness Correct. is yeah. a means by which, you know, so like it's a, it's a great starting point. Like it, when we think about how much God has forgiven us and we think about how deep and horrible our sin is and how God is so gracious to each and every one of us, despite uh, what he knows about us, he knows everything we have done and will yes. do. Yes. And so like in that we should then be able to then extend even a modicum of that to others where we are patient with people, where we, um, understand where they're coming. We, we recognize people like where they're, where they're deficient, how they have fallen and how they are sinful, just like we are. And so in that we are then gracious towards them and we forgive them and we are patient with them and we are kind to them. Um, and that is a great avenue by which we then are able to share the gospel. Cause like, you know, like that's just a basic thing. That I think it's lost in the weeds of overthinking, like, like, well, like we need, like we need to do this, this and this. And like, like people like, you know, like we don't want to just be nice to people. We want to do that. But like the way that you build that bridge by which you can then share the gospel with somebody, um, granted God can just open up any Avenue he wants, but sure. You know, you are much more likely to put it simply to share the gospel with a coworker that you are nice to than a coworker yes. that you are not nice to, you know, and in that, and when you are, and if anything, that's can help us stand out where we are so much more patient than, than everyone else, because we know the love, and forgiveness of God that then should make us so much more loving and forgiving than the people around us. And that should be what Christians are known for. You know, I, I heard Ed Stetzer talk at a conference not too long ago, and he was talking about like Christians and social media. And he said, he said, social media is a giant car wreck. And often Christians are the ones causing the accidents for whatever reason, you know, where like we, like we just have lost this, the, the ability to, to, um, be people known for our love and our patience and our kindness and our gentleness and our self-control where those are the things that should be the markers of somebody who knows the Lord. And so when we look at something like the bear, where none of these characters display <laughs> like all of those things, uh, but we see them triumph and the little bit in, that they can, like we should, it should be a reminder for us of how much, how much more that we can do as people who know the Lord and are real people, not fictional characters, uh, where we can then go into whatever workplace we are in, wherever environment we're in and, uh, display the fruits of the spirit and then open up opportunities to have those deeper conversations where, you know, we can, so someone, someone asks like, you know, you're, you're so helpful. Like I noticed that like you are, you always do more than you have to. You always are eager to help out. You are so nice. You're a great ear to uh, listening ear and shoulder to cry on, you know. And so I, I had a one of the most ardently atheist coworkers I ever had in my life. We we spent months and months just hanging out at work. Uh, and so finally, he said, "You know what? Like Dan, next time that you are preaching at church, like let me know. Like I want I want I want to I want to I want to hear what that's about, you know." And we never we we never had necessarily a direct gospel conversation. Religion had obviously come up as uh, we had talked about all kinds of topics. Mm-hmm. But like, because he's, he's like, because I treated him and talked to him differently than every other, not just Christian, but just person that he'd interacted with. Like he said, like, there's something different about this person. Um, and so, yeah, it's the bears. Part of what makes the bear fascinating is it's simultaneously a cautionary tale, tale and aspirational, or you look at the way these characters treat each other and your reaction should be, man, I don't want to be like that. Like, I don't want to scream and shout and swear at everyone I talk to you. But at the same time, like you see the progress and change that the, that the characters undergo, and you go, but you know what? I do want that. Like, I do want to be someone who experiences personal growth and grows more patient and more kind and understanding to others. 
Apart from episode seven, where Carmi loses it, though, I do find him to be a very good model in terms of entering a world, communicating in the same way they do, but also introducing a means of betterment. Because, like, sure, I'm, I mean, I'm really not bothered when he's telling Richie to shut the f up like <laughs> six or seven times. Because, in a way, like, okay, if that's the way he talks, and then I need to talk that way too, in a way. And I, I, I recognize that like the concept of cursing is so taboo in Christian cultural context. But I also know Paul has like an entire monologue about like uh, to the Jewish, I'm a Jew. <laughs> to the to the the like to the thief, I'm a thief. To the to the adult, like not to the not to those things. But he and he and he prefaces it always like while always in Christ. So he's like, he's really asserting like the need to insert oneself into a culture, laying down one's life and sacrificing the self. Um, so in other words, which is in um, not contrast in conjunction with like the idea of like, okay, part of your church is eating meat, sacrificed to idols. Part of your church is not comfortable with it. I encourage the people me eating meat, sacrificed to idols to not do that. Even though you're not wrong, don't do that. Cause it can, be a temptation and is unkind to your fellow man. Um, there's a sense in which you kind of do the same thing in your outreach. And I found that like, I mean, what is he going to do? Gently pull Richie aside and be like, Richie, I just, I think the way you talk is like, cause Richie would immediately explode and start yelling at him. It's like, it wouldn't work. That would it would not function. That's not the kind of character. So in the moment to just be like a, a tensely, just like, you got to be quiet. You're messing up the focus. What are you doing? I I didn't find to be a bother. Not that I'm saying you're doing that, but you, you, since you keep saying like every character has something wrong, which yeah, functionally yeah, but like I think in terms of like the linchpin, the the one holding them together, uh, Carmi being that um, gets him to a position in which like I think is a good model of how to communicate, of how to outreach of how to function and he applies himself in each for each individual in a similar manner and i find that to be like i i kept thinking like this is a very wise fictional character this is a character who's very understanding well i mean like half the show is him learning to communicate with his sister though like because he's unable to sure um and like and it's he not... needs to like deal with the trauma of his brother passing away and like all the ways in which that's messed him up and like you, you do kind of subtly get the sense that like he is also just uncomfortable with a lot of the like the roles that he has to play. Like he he does like apologize at the show for the ways in which he talks to people, which is nice. He's one of the only characters that like actively apologizes for his behavior, which so is like a really he's actively good growing throughout the show. Mature too. thing, yeah. Like, so like hence why like I think like there's a there's a lot of personal growth he has to go to. Like we just see like. Um, we get to we get to see more of him away from the restaurant than all the other characters for mm-hmm. obvious reasons, and so like there's a lot of stuff that he's changing and working on and going through um, throughout the show, and it's you still the bear just sort of ends at a certain point where it ends it ends at a good ending point, but all the characters still have a lot that they are grow, growing and, and changing, but like, you get a sense that they've gone past a particular hump where now they've made huge strides. And so in theory, um, wherever they go next, they're going to continue to make progress because they're now going in that direction. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Like, yeah, like I think he's definitely nicer than the characters in some regards, but like he is also like unable to like properly lead them for a lot of it. Like he ditches <laughs> at one point, yes, one episode, episode three. he just like, he just leaves. <laughs> 
um because he needs to go to to his uh group group meeting you know so and he has recurring nightmares where he lets the the put things burn down he also burns down his apartment and all that stuff so like you know they're all very flawed characters but they granted their flaws are all different but mm-hmm. you know oh and uh they don't waste any time there is a bear in the show <laughs> right at the beginning baby <laughs> yeah that would make me happy um so do you uh i guess uh i guess we both recommend the bear uh yeah i mean obviously i did like 20 minutes 30 minutes ago before we i got highly recommend the bear i think but um i might get this on blu-ray or 4k whenever it comes out yeah i it, it, it's interesting like hulu we're now in in full hulu season where between this and prey and only murders in the building and um, all that stuff like they just they're putting out good genre stuff like these are these are shows and movies that are not like the currently what's um, over proliferating other services like you get like a really good show about a kitchen and then you get a really good show about two old people and Selena Gomez making a podcast you get a good like show about a, a Native American fighting a predator like all the things that you need out of entertainment all there and um the the bear is like it is a breath of fresh air like i think it's definitely something that critics are going to be partially why they're so enthusiastic is it's like a character driven small scale drama about a talented chef working at a sandwich shop you know this there's no superheroes no one has powers great writing too very sharp they call out snyder cut fans within 40 minutes (laughs) 20 20 minutes of the episode yeah so i appreciate wild scene where he's just a gun (laughs) (laughs) um it's it it's really great and i i can't i don't think i can say enough nice things about it yeah it's wonderfully shot it's it looks great and the music is great there's nothing really about it that i don't like so highly recommend the bear and uh what do you have for recommendations uh for recommendations oh boy um i was uh i was in an online conversation talking about um, study Bibles to get for students, like when they graduate from either uh, youth group or Sunday school program. Different churches denominations um, have different uh, ages that you hit, which we, which you become sort of a official graduate. And sort of the debate was between should you give like high school students the ESV student study Bible, or should you just give them um, the regular ESV study Bible? Um, and I am semi undecided on it. However, I will say that I will recommend the ESV student study Bible. If you know that you're somebody who's going to be traveling because anyone who's used the ESV study Bible or the reformation study Bible knows that those things are huge. (laughs) They're just humongous. They're bulky. They don't fit in a backpack really well. However, the ESV student study Bible has most of the same notes. Um, they're just condensed a little bit. I think they uh, minimize some of the articles, um, from when, from when I was using it. However, it really is great for compact for being compact and uh, for someone who's traveling. So if you're a student who's like taking the train to, to college every day, or you have to like jump in a car with like ten other people uh, to to go to class, uh, this easy student study Bible is great for throwing in a backpack or a laptop bag or whatever. Um, so it is essentially the exact same content of the ESV study Bible, which as we've talked about is like one of the best study Bibles around. Um, they just sort of like streamline the notes to be more uh, uh, to, to make to lower the page count 
And I will say that the, the text, the type is a little smaller than your typical study Bible. However, if you are a 22 year old who just needs a Bible to walk around on a college campus with, your eyes should be good enough to read it. So I will say if you are a student on the go, or if you are somebody who just needs a Bible to throw in your backpack or to travel around with, um, you don't necessarily need to grab the big study Bible off your shelf that is, you know, stays in your home or your office. The ESV student study Bible is a great um, resource, which is both uh, good for travel as well as good for those delicious, wonderful study notes. So uh, I am going to recommend another show that makes me emotional and very happy. <laughs> uh, Dan, can you guess what it is? Cause I texted you about it and I was like, it was one of the dumbest texts I've ever sent you, but could you guess it? Oh, um, I know that's like six years ago in, in like your <laughs> uh, Master Chef Junior. No, I haven't watched that. No, I am recommending Joe Para Talks with you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, um, uh, I was just I, watching the other day. <laughs> so. It's great. Um, it is. Uh, so when I talked about Agua Donkeys on an episode of the podcast that has not been released because it was from the Quibi one, um, I talked about how that was like one of my favorite shows. It's super funny. Um, it's very comfortable it's very lowercase in the sense that like it's not uh it doesn't beg for your attention but it it still gets it and it's very cozy um you don't get exhausted it's very funny it's all this stuff uh joe Par- i don't know why i'm describing or comparing it to a show no one's ever watched but joe paratox with you is very much f- similar to that um and i'm sure part of agua donkeys was influenced by it at least the show not the um pilot that was done a couple years ago but for some reason the first episode of joe pair talks with you just absolutely floored me in terms of like my emotions i literally could not talk after the credits were rolling because i was just like weeping i don't know i find um something about the simple life um and general curiosity to be extremely emotional to me i think a lot of scripture uh in terms of wisdom literature asserts the importance of like and the not the importance, I would almost say the gift of living a simple life and how like there's something paramount to that, like in terms of what it does for the spirit. And uh, there was something so simple and kind about the show that I just loved. And yeah, like it was like, I could like, I tried talking to Catherine and like, I start doing that, like laugh crying <laughs> i don't know no one's gonna do experience it like i did but i am 100 recommending it. it's also extremely funny and like Catherine and i have just been watching like, an yeah episode i was gonna night. say like it is a comedy like it's extremely funny and but like but what makes just it so, so funny is like soft it's so soft yeah the comedy really catches you off guard because it's so like soft and there's an episode where he's like learning about dancing and he's dancing uh, it's like episode four he's dancing at a wedding and he's just so sheepish and everyone's like cheering him on like in any other like cynical comedy joe Perez's character would be the one that they make fun of and like you would laugh at sometimes too but in this it's like everybody just likes him and is nice and yeah because he's a local music teacher so yeah well, oh that's why yeah <laughs> but then like the end of the episode he's like i love dancing ah oh, i'm so excited i'm gonna go watch black swan i love black swan <laughs> and Catherine's like no <laughs> But like, so the comedy is really good, uh, but it's also, yeah, it's so understated and kind, but it sounded like you had more you wanted to say about the. Oh yeah. It's, it's, I will also make a reference to the fact that he, there is a special episode that aired during like, during like March of the pandemic. Um, It's under, 
what is it? There's a specific category in HBO Max. Uh, as of right now, who knows if it's there tomorrow? Infomercials. Uh, yeah, uh, it's like it's like Adult Swim, not infomercials. It's like the ASMR one. There's something yes. like that. Yeah, I can't. There's remember what an it's ASMR called. one, and there's a Joe Para special where he, that was talks over old footage. Yes, Joe Para talks over the footage, which was designed to be seen by nurses and stuff after they get home um, from a long shift to the hospital. And that's when I saw it. I watched it in a hotel room um, after working a shift at the hospital and it w- it really hit the spot. And I will also say that I regularly go back and just rewatch the perfect egg bite clip over and over again. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> so great. <laughs> uh, especially cause it's like what one of the hallmarks of the kind of Joe Perry to me is like, there'll be random moments where the show for a brief second becomes more like you expect an adult swim show to be for a second. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it just reverts right back to like, basically like a pbs documentary with a very kind of like oddly charismatic uh host so yeah it's and it's sad that hbo max canceled show paradox of you so that's kind of reasonable for um for adult swim shows that's more than a show that could go on forever (laughs) yeah yes they could make this could this could be bob ross for this generation there's no reason it couldn't have been super but. cheap very enjoyable it's yeah so anyways I, I i love it i like i said it's super emotional for me uh it's it's really funny like it's just it's a great show so definitely check it and out and man does it di- is it different from the rest of the adult sim lineup like it was yeah, really a trip very different, to watch very it. <laughs> different yeah it's just nice to not watch cynical comedy i don't know i really appreciate it Catherine even said like the feel is very much like the good happy points of over the garden wall where it's just like, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. so nice I to live in. Like you want to move to this town and like, you want to know him or at least see him going shopping and stuff. I don't know. It's so yeah. Joe para talks with you. Watch it. Watch it. It's, it's one of the most uncynical things that you'll ever watch. So, um, oh man, that, that's a, that's a good show. <laughs> <laughs> guess it, we'll do an episode on it i don't know <laughs> maybe that'd be an interesting one to do it's like the complete polar opposite. An episode joe para and xavier it's he <laughs> you know uh, nathan fielder is joe para is like waluigi in a lot of ways yes. <laughs> I feel, yeah i feel like yeah so yeah we're i've mentioned before that um my wife and i tend to just watch shows while we eat and so occasionally like we'll step out and to check out something that's not your typical um, like eating show, like right now we're watching the Vampire Diaries, which is better than you think it will be. I will say that about Vampire Diaries. It is not as bad as you think it will be. Uh, but occasionally we will stretch our wings a little bit and watch something that's an actual real show. And I've already mentioned it throughout the episode, but I will just quickly plug. We've It's been plugged twice on the show before, but they did come up with a new season. Only Murders in the Building has a season two. And they've just announced that they're going to renew it for a season three. So if you have not started the show yet, um, at least just watch the first season. The first season is so, so, so good. And there really isn't a lot of shows like it. Like the, maybe the new um, Knives Out movie on Netflix will kind of scratch that a little bit. But it is a comedy drama murder mystery with a genuinely nice murder mystery at the center where the murder mystery isn't just like a prop to stick jokes on. Like it, it is an actual mystery you have to figure out and solve and you actually can figure it out from following the clues and doing your own deduction skills uh that said it is- <laughs> thank goodness because like i i have hated the sherlock syndrome the sherlockification of like true crime murder not true crime but like murder style stuff where it's like 
your audience can quite literally never figure it out because the protagonist is so smart that they move equations in their brain. Like, it's yeah, just it, the worst. Yeah, it's, it's not a situation worst. where the protagonist has information that you, the audience, don't have. I hate you know? that. It's, yeah, because then it's not a mystery at that point. Um, but I, it, the the other hook, other than the fact that it stars Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez as a, a wonderful central trio is that it also is kind of a parody of true crime podcasts and they actually take quite a bit of shots at the genre of true crime podcasts and the second season really leans into that angle a bit actually so the, it gives it that it's so it's weirdly old-fashioned with a very modern spin on it where they nice. are taking shots at modern true crime uh culture which i'm totally all for that so it also there's a constant stream of surprising actors that just show up in the show without warning uh, some of them you will love, some of them you will hate. I guarantee you, internet movie podcast listener, there are going to be actors that show up in the show that you will just be like, oh, gosh. But the show uses all of them to to uh, to their best abilities, I think. So uh, just a gentle reminder that the show has a second season and we'll have a third season. Also, Umbrella Academy just got renewed for season four, if you haven't started that either. So. Thanks so much for checking out this episode of Cinematic Doctrine. If you enjoyed this episode, consider leaving a review and subscribing to the podcast. And as mentioned before, Cinematic Doctrine has a Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you're opted into a once-a-month movie poll where you decide a movie we discuss on the podcast. There are other unique benefits that come with supporting the podcast, so be sure to check that out at patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine. A special shout out to those who support at the Art House Theater tier on Patreon. Thank you so much, Mom, Dad, Melanie, Sherlyon, and Thomas. You guys are the best, and your continued monetary support is greatly appreciated. Until next time, stay cool. Want some Cinematic Doctrine swag? You're in luck. We've got 3-inch Cinematic Doctrine logo stickers exclusive for Patreon supporters. Perfect for your travel mug or laptop. Head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine, link in the show notes, and choose the independent theater tier. Doing so will net you other perks too. But let's be real, the podcast stickers are the coolest perk. So get yourself some podcast stickers by supporting on Patreon.